What's up, world? I'm your host, Angelica Beener, and this is Milestones, a podcast where I'm joined by a special guest each episode to discuss landmark music that is celebrating a milestone year. On this episode, I'm joined by critically acclaimed musicians Gretchen Parlato and Lionel Lueque to talk about their brand new, long-awaited collaboration. It's titled Lean In, and it's out now on Edition Records. The duo has been making magic together since the early 2000s, and 22 years later, their new offering reflects the depth of their creative journey and their enduring friendship. We'll also talk about their shared musical mentor, the one and only Herbie Hancock. On the 50th anniversary of his 1973 LP, Headhunters, the groundbreaking album that expanded the jazz genre and audience through its funk and synth-laden elements and singular musicianship. Let's get into it, y'all. Hi. Hi. (laughs) Thank you both so much. Hi, Lionel. Hey, Gretchen. Hi. Hi. So I just want to start by saying how impressive it is that we are in three different time zones and we managed Mm. to to get here. So thank you both. Make it it happen, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. A little math. Thanks to the technology, right? Yes, exactly. (laughs) Three time zones and we are looking at each other, how far we have come. (laughs) Pretty amazing. (laughs) Yes. So I want to start by saying congratulations on your new collaborative project. The album is titled Lean In, out now on Edition Records. How does that feel that it's out in the world? It feels good. (laughs) (laughs) Don't don't throw me with a good time, you know. Taking me back to the 90s. (laughs) It does feel good. It it feels good. Uh, Really. You know, seeing all the, I mean, the great reviews. I don't, I don't really read them, but they kept coming. So, you know, I'm just hearing good news from people. I don't know people I know about it, and it was about that time. So I'm, I'm happy and honored to be doing to, to did this to do this with Gretchen course the one and only uh, no me too it's been a long time coming you know we've we both reflected we've talked about doing this for I mean we've known each other 22 years but we've and we've talked about recording duo for many of those years and it just finally seemed to be the right time and I think it's mutual I I just feel lucky that Lionel has the time to to dedicate. No, I'm, to... I'm the one lucky. <laughs> He's a busy guy. <laughs> a little we, bit, we right? Yeah. We are busy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that is amazing. Well, you you know, Gretchen, you brought up knowing each other for 22 years. So, can you take our audience back to when you first met? Yeah, I guess I'll start, and I and Leo can. <laughs> chime in but it was our audition for the Thelonious Monk Institute of Jazz and this was 2000 well we started in 2001 in the fall so I'm pretty sure that the audition was like winter 
the same year. So 2001, early in the year. And there were many people auditioning. And for whatever reason, in, in written in the stars, we were the last two. So yeah. Lionel was second to last and I was last. So we were both kind of, you know, in auditions, you're, you're stand, sitting around, standing around, waiting around for hours. So I remember seeing you, Leo, before I talked to you, I was like, who's that guy? Because you looked, you're so tall, you're so but your, your ensemble and you just had such a, a presence even without making a sound you know and then he his audition was first so I I heard him and I don't think anyone else really stuck around it was really since we were last so I could like listen and I literally listened to your audition through the door and without seeing you it was like who is this guy this is crazy. thank you <laughs> it was it was fun. I remember, yeah, I remember my my outfit, my African. Yes, we call it boo boo. <laughs> and I remember also that I was there early, and I did listen to everybody until it gets to until the end, pretty much. Mm -hmm. And you know, everybody was nervous, of course. I remember asking. Then when I walk in the room, if I could play an intro, you know, and I remember Herbie was like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, everybody else, they all, they look like tired, you know. <laughs> and of course, you know, Herbie said, yeah, yeah, yeah. So everybody said, okay, you know. And I remember playing an intro. And, and from that point, you know, it was, yeah, I was a little more relaxed. And I remember listening to you too, when I, <laughs> when I came out, you know, listened to you a little bit. And so, you know, amazing. Yeah, you knew everybody. That's right. All the Berkeley. Yeah, it was mostly guys from Berkeley. Yeah, pretty much everybody. Is that and where you so, met Herbie as well? That's where I met Herbie. No, I, I met, yeah, know? I met Herbie at the Monk. Okay. At the audition, as it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I never met him before that audition. Yeah. Wow, no pressure. No pressure, exactly. <laughs> Wayne yeah, it was just Herbie, Wayne, and Terrence. Yeah. No, big Terrence no big deal. <laughs> but, so, so it's interesting because you were the last two, which has this sort of faded spin to it, because you two would, after the audition, and once you both get accepted into the program, you would form a bond and a friendship that, blossomed and you both came to New York around 2003. So and I wonder if you could both tell me, like, Lionel, what was that like coming to New York? It was great. Uh, I mean, for me, I wanted to go to New York even before the Monk Institute. That was my plan. And Hal Crook, um, teacher at Berkeley, told me about the Monk Institute. You should, you should go. And so from the Monk Institute, I mean, I was mentally ready to go to New York because I was already playing with Terrence and, you know, Kendrick was already in New York. Some of the guys were already Aaron, you know, so it was the perfect transition for me. And with Gretchen, I mean, it was clear that we passed two years together playing and, you know, playing some tune, playing some, she's singing, we're doing some intros. And to, before we even moved, we did a demo. I don't know if you remember. Oh, yeah. 
yeah, we did a little demo and, and we moved to New York and that was it. Once we got to New York, we were playing pretty much, I mean, I would say pretty much every week, you know, mm-hmm. playing different places, small places, but slowly and the places start getting packed. And, and that was it. It was, it was clear that New York was the place to be at that time. Mm-hmm. And then I met you, right? So yes. I, I yes. got a chance to, you know, uh, get signed on Bruno. I remember I was, I think it was this pretty much the same year or second year I moved to New York. Yeah, I, I, I got there around the time that you got there. <laughs> we got yeah. there almost at the same time. So that was, that yeah. was really exciting. And Gretchen, yeah. I mean, cause this is a, you know, this is a very fertile, fun time in New York City, as far as I can remember, you know, just everybody out and going to different clubs and, you know, you could go to four or five clubs in a night kind of thing. I mean, what was that? That must have felt kind of exciting, right? Oh my gosh, it was. And especially because I had only lived in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. which is, very, it has a, you know, a scene, but it's obviously it's very spread out. You have to, you can't, go to four to five clubs in one night there probably aren't that many you know but it's there's no other place like it and it was you know and I was a little I don't know I always make a note that I was you know 27 only because I I had friends that you know just out of high school went to east coast and just had that experience even younger but I feel like there was something about being a little bit older and having still young now but you know just having a sense of like a little bit under your belt, you know, to go and to feel the confidence of, of, like you said, going to hear music and sitting in and just, yeah, staying out till the wee hours. And, but it was productive. It didn't feel like you were, you know, that you were supposed to be doing that. And yeah, I mean, it was so, it was so much fun. And so much of those gigs were with Lionel. It was either the two of us or it was, you know, like quartet trio or quartet settings, but yeah, and like Niagara was a venue that we yeah. played. Oh, yeah, that's right. That on 7th and like Avenue A, I think. The old Zinc Bar. The old Zinc the Bar. Jazz Gallery. <laughs> right. 55 Bar. We ended up having a regular thing. And yeah, I mean, people, it was like a, we, it's funny because we, the two years we spent in the ensemble, we didn't play duo until the very end. We thought, like Leo said, let's, let's, let's make a, a demo just for, for us. And, and that's where you taught me Novignon. And it was just, to me, I would hope you agree. It just felt like immediately, like, this is meant to be. We each had our part that was so fitting. And there's so much, like, tangibility, I guess, to that song. But also, it's deceptively, there's a lot going on. Especially if you think you know where one is and you're not right. <laughs> I remember, Lionel, you did a, well, now we're really going back to the old New York when they had J&R Music and they would have the in-stores. Oh, yes, I remember. Yes. And Lionel, he got all of us. He's like, okay, so he's playing. <laughs> I think it was like, gosh, I think it was Gelfema, right? It was, it was, it was. It was, it was yeah, it was yeah. Frank and Massimo, yeah. yeah. Yes. And, yeah. and Lionel's like, okay, so they're playing. He's like, so, you know, let's see where the one is, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so everybody's, and I'm thinking, I really know, you know, I'm like, oh yeah, because everybody's all over the place, you know, clapping all over the place. <laughs> None of us were right. <laughs> but it just felt good yeah, where, yeah. I guess, wherever we thought we were, it felt good. But Exactly. That's what it. <laughs> but we were all wrong. 
That is how Leo, that's how Leo makes us all feel better. He's like, wherever you feel it, it's right. But in my head, I'm like, but come on, like, why can't I hear it the way that I'm supposed to? And it's like, a, I had a teacher in, at UCLA, you know, studying different kinds of like West African music that talked about it like a three-dimensional cube. He drew a three-dimensional cube on the board. So you start with a square and then you draw another square a little bit offset and you make the lines and then he started he shaded like two sides of the square at a time and then he he's like you can hear it like this and then he would erase the shading and shade two different sides where like maybe you know the box this cube the box had a different entryway in he's like it's all the same but there's just different ways to get in there and i've never gotten that analogy so but i, I still that. yeah it's really a cool one but i still Nothing else. It's that one. I'm like where I thought one one was. It's not. It's on like an upbeat. But then I still, if Lena goes into a solo, I holding on for dear life to just keep the pulse. Now you hear it. You own it now. I don't know. I hear, but I still hear it in my like in my in my the uh, the wrong way, and I just keep it. But I'm like this. Why? I I have to have that three dimensional cube moment where it's like oh. I, I feel it this way now, and it, I, I have to work on that. Yeah, I mean, it's so easy to, to, to play with you, you know, I said, I said it many times because your sense, I mean, you know, when people listen to you, they don't hear at first rhythm, but I'm like, people, you're not paying attention. Yeah, of course. You know, she, whatever she's saying is beautiful and, you know, <laughs> it's like you don't want to change any notes but listen to the phrasing listen to how you know the lay, how she's laying back on the phrasing how she's you know bringing putting the rhythm together with the melody and that's I mean I, I'm from the rhythm parts in the world that I grew up with that but I can tell like when we play together you know I have to say, you're the only person that, uh, when it comes to the singers, that I don't feel like I have to restrain myself and hold myself so I don't make a big mess or, you know, make the singer at loss. I just feel like I can do whatever because whatever I do, you're there. So that's... Well... Chapeau. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so important. People don't rely, I mean... So people who knows know they know, but not everybody listen to Gretchen in, in that dimension, you know. Um, mm. Of course, everyone listen to the way she phrases her voice. And another thing I I love about Gretchen is from the from day one I met her until today, I never heard Gretchen sing anything to like you know impress. You know it's how. We musicians or singers, yeah, you know, start doing some crazy scaring and you know, trying to show up. I never heard her doing that for a second. Everything she touched is all about music. It's her. It's not. It's real. It's pure. And that's a quality that I mean, we need more. I mean, it's only one Gretchen, but we need more people with that kind of attitude. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Thank you, yeah. Liam. That's the truth. It's like when you find a treasure, which you clearly found in each other, you value it and you you nurture it, you water it and feed it. And when you both got signed, which was, you know, sort of around the same time, you began to record with with one another. And I think those songs, I mean, I remember, I mean, it was it was fresh. It was something that we it just was refreshing to hear, you know, the two of you work together, not to, I mean, there was a lot of great music, you know, at the time, but there was just a, a vibrancy, a freshness, a, a, a newness even between the two of you. I'm trying to think about, so the album In a Trance, that was the one that you appeared on Gretchen. And then that same year, I think it was your debut and you did Novignon, right? on that album. And then you worked together on your sophomore album in a dream where you did this incredible cover of Stevie Wonder, Michael Jackson's, I can't help it. I mean, it was was just every time you did something together. And then I know you were on Virgin Forest, you had done tribal dance, just a, just a few. That's, those are some of the ones that I can remember, but I feel like every time it was like, what are they going to do now? Because, <laughs> you know, it kept it kept us kind of on our toes, you know, like what 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 kind of cool shit are they going to come up with now? You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, that's so cool. But that's that's the response that I would hope for, especially some, you know, it's like if you know this music, I was it was always just fun for me to like suggest you know, music that besides our stand, the stand jazz standard repertoire to bring in like I can't help it or, you know, now on this on lean in, like I miss you, you know, something that's like from a, a pop or R&B or soul genre. And and then and I, you don't have to say anything. It's just like, hey, Leo, let's play this song. And then what you hear is what he did from the very first second. You know, it's just like, oh, let me. He just he can play anything. That's there's a there's always a consistent sound, you know, of of Lionel, no matter what. But then it was always so fun for me to think of like, what's a repertoire that that we can the people that know this music and love this music can hear it in a way that is that tells a different story, you know, that that brings it honors it, but like brings something else, something new, like you said, like new and fresh and and you know, in into the the arrangement. And I I would I've always kind of kept that template of like this the repertoire of of the projects is like some some music from childhood on that like meant something there's jazz in there obviously with Lionel there's there's you know West African with his you know traditional you know music and then Brazilian music too which we both love you know Mm -hmm. and then and then everything's just kind of just played from the heart, you know, I don't, I don't know how, that's how I would describe it. It's just kind of breaking it down, deconstructing it, and then reconstructing it collectively. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the groups I love who did just amazing covers was the Isley Brothers. And that was because you, it was like, that's that song, you know, by the time they got done with it, it was something so different. And like you said, that's, I I think that that's how you honor a cover is that you bring your heart, your vision and imagination to it. Like you said, with keeping the integrity. So 
because I'm like a kind of a covers geek, I loved anytime (laughs) you guys would do a cover because I knew that it was in that same vein. It was going to have a, another, you know, just add another dimension. And I think that that's, that's the, that's what we can hope for. But then the musicality, the, the, the musicians that we're talking about, I mean, you guys just are so amazing. <laughs> so thank you. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's challenging to, to, to do a cover, especially on the, on the song that, you know, <laughs> because you have the reference of, of the song and, you, but same time, you wanna be, you wanna make it your own, right? You wanna bring something different. Otherwise, why will you do it anyway if you're gonna copy the original? But in this case, you know, when Gretchen, when she proposed the songs, I, you know, I don't know this song. <laughs> Sorry, you know, I, I said, well, but then, for me, it was perfect because I have no reference, right? I have, I, I just listened to the original, so it's not like I heard them many times, so I can, um, so I just approached them like almost like a new song. Like, but it, it gets challenging when you know the song and like I can help it or, but we still, I think what's really helped us is we um we respect each other we we are free to try things and if they don't work we change <laughs> you know but i think it, it kind of helps us to just go for the unknown and see what we get mm-hmm. when gretchen asked me uh, was the song again on the cd and i have to I think I came up, I played, and I think I played 15 or something. Oh, Walking After You. Walking, exactly. Yeah. So I, you know, I'm listening. I'm like, man, this can, this going to fit well. But I I played, and then I I was like, what is, what is this? What meter is this? Then I have to pause and count because when I'm playing, I'm not counting. Then I was like, oh, 15. That's what it's going to be. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I did. I didn't try to add one one bit to make it sixteen. I said, well, that's, and I knew that, you know, Gretchen, she will, she won't say, oh no 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 no. It's you know, she 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 gonna we're gonna try, and if it doesn't work, we change. And of course, you know, she make it sound like it was four four. <laughs> you know, and and that's the goal. People listen to it. People who are not musicians, they don't care about it. just feel different. And, you know, that's, exactly. the, that's the point. Yeah. Exactly. Like a baby 
I mean, this is a time going back to like sort of 2005, 2006, when you guys are really getting in your bag. Lionel, you're on tour with with Terrence Blanchard and you're, you know, working with Herbie a bit. You've got your own incredible band that you're developing and they're really popping on the scene. Gretchen, you win the Thelonious Monk International Vocal Competition. You, You get a deal. You're a rising star in your own right as well. And then when you're coming together, you guys are making a lot of noise on the scene. Like it's it's like people are are excited. One would think that because of that, that your duo album, which came out this year, <laughs> <laughs> may have come out back then when, you know, it was the beginning and it was kind of like a no-brainer and it was very, very clear where you guys were going. So I wonder if you could talk to me a little bit about timing, the timing of this album and why it's perfect now. Yeah, I mean, I I can't I don't know exactly why it never happened up until now. It's just it, I think you're, like you say timing it, it probably there was too many other things happening and you know pulled in different directions in a good way and it was something like oh yeah, we need to do that. Yeah, we will. Okay, yeah. Oh yeah, we got to do that do a project and we, you know, life, life happened. (laughs) And, but in hindsight, it's like, it, it was, you know, now the album's out and it was when we were recording it, we were realizing it's exactly 20 years ago, you know, that we, that we met. So there was something about that mark and, and all of the, all of the life experience and music that we had had, you know, shared together was put into this project that if we did it a long time ago, it would have been cool, I'm sure, but in, but new. And I think there's something about us getting together all these years later. And it was very quick. It was like, Oh, let's record. Okay. What's the repertoire? Here's some ideas. Let's go in the studio and do it. And, you know, it was, it was one of those things where you don't have to say much because you have all of this, this connection these years of, of a really deep connection. So I think it, you know, the, it depends how, what people believe, if you believe in, you know, karma or planning or things happening for a reason, I think it's just, it, it seems so ideal now that it, that it took this long, you know, and, and now there's, there's more meaning to it, I think. Hmm. Yeah. I think she said everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the album. It's called lean in. It features drummer Mark Juliana, bassist Bernice Travis, and young Marley and young Lisa, yeah. beautiful children. I mean, I mean, wow, that's I mean, even that's gotta feel great because when you met, you know, there were were, were there children yet? Or maybe one tiny child? Was were there children yet? No. No, right? I mean, I mean yeah, I had the uh, not when we met though. My we oldest. Were... Yeah. But she was born yeah, when we to New York. I remember exactly in New York. Exactly. That was so. The yeah. first two years in the institute, there were no kids for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So then, then it makes sense why why we waited for for twenty years. You know, you needed the so perfect big, background singers. <laughs> exactly, we needed oh, perfect yeah. background singers. You know, we needed Mark. Right. I mean, we didn't. You know, it's like uh, I believe 
things happen for a reason, good or bad, but I truly believe there's a reason behind. So yeah. the time was right. The time mm-hmm. is right. So talk to me a little bit about the premise of the record. I had the honor and privilege of writing the bio for the album. So I got to thank really you. dive deep. Oh my gosh. Thank You're welcome. And thank you. I, I spent a lot of time with this record and the profundity of the the message and the foundation of it is very resonant. And so I wonder if you, Lionel, what do you want, what can you say about the just foundationally what this record is about and and where you both were at the time, you know, because these last few years have been interesting for our planet. So yeah, I think definitely related has a lot of relation with all we've been through with COVID. You know, seeing people dying. So this definitely has a relation with it, and and also, I mean, with love. It's all it's all about love and and sharing and caring, just respect another human being, just like you. And all, all we've been through before COVID until that point, and just to realize what we had and what we are losing, mm. simply because we're not paying attention. And it goes to, I mean, I think it's beyond, it's even beyond that, you know, like what's happening right now in in Canada and in, in, in New York, you know. So um, nobody else will do it at our place if we don't do it. So I think all that message is, is resonating in us and it's a big part of, of of this music. Yeah. Yeah, it seems we can feel so helpless in it, but I feel like as artists, that's our, if there's something, if there's one little, something little, we can, this feels little and it's hopefully bigger, is, is just, is create music and create, music with a a message and a and something to make people or allow people to feel something and that was the whole thing with lean in it first it started as just a song title and then we realized this actually would make a a nice album (laughs) title and a a theme you know just like when I I wrote the that was a very collective composition of Mark's percussion I wrote you know melody and lyric to his percussion track and then Lionel added all the harmony and but the idea was just no matter what we're going through good or bad you know anywhere on that on that the spectrum of life is the a way to to deal with it is to lean into it is to not push it away not swallow it not you know ignore it but just to pay attention you know and to to there's a beautiful quote like imagery of Thich Nhat Hanh of one of my favorite writers and in spirits of just of like thinking of your emotions as a baby like a mother or a father cradling a baby and nurturing it and saying like it's okay I'm here so baby's crying for whatever reason you know and you're all you can do is hold that and say I'm here I'm here for you you know and it's the same with anything that we're dealing with so I think that that was really at the root of of the the feeling and the message of just leaning into our experience, leaning into our feelings and and each other and our world and and just maybe we don't have the answers 
and maybe things feel like they're getting worse before they are going to get better. <laughs> and we just hope they get, better. you know, there's, it's, there's a lot of unknown, but I think it's, there's nothing, nothing will move if we don't actually pay attention to it. in the sand yeah for sure and there's and and like Leonel was saying there's there's love there's joy I mean I listen to this album I can dance I can cry which I have I've danced to you know I can sing with it I can it's it's one of those albums that takes you on a journey there's there's new repertoire there's some tried and true repertoire there's you know I feel like we go from Afrobeat to bossa to pop to R&B to soul but in this extremely cohesive way how would you describe the music that's on this album just aesthetically like the vibe like you know what I mean you said it I mean <laughs> you just you just I don't know if I could add to what you said but I mean, I'm, I appreciate that the, the cohesiveness, that's the goal is to make it so no matter what the genre, it still feel it flows and it flows together and it feels like it's this complete statement, you know, like this, it's, I always imagine the, our albums are like a, a painting or like a piece of art that you, that you see on a wall and it's, it's just perfect. It's just, it's complete. And you have this, I mean, perfect, you know what I mean? <laughs> you, you whether you created it or you're viewing it, but you see it and it's like, that's, that's it. Like this, it's, it's a statement and yet what is that statement? What is, how do people react to it and feel it? They could be all those things you mentioned, you know, all the whole range of emotion. So it's just opening people up to their own experience of, of the project. But I love that your reaction is the exact one that I would hope, you know, for people to have. 
But how do you do that? Because that's easier said than done, right, Lionel? Like the art of actually doing that so that it feels that way to us. I mean, how, and, and maybe it's, maybe how is not the right question, but. Yeah, I, I think we are all sensitive people, especially when it comes to musicians. Our emotion comes through what we do. And, and if we speak directly from our hearts, feel it. And when it comes to us, Gretchen and I, we have a, we are, we, you know, have a back, jazz background, but at the same time, we like, we love other style of music. And all those influences come, they come also through what we do. And it doesn't matter, I always said, you know, if it was a rock and roll album, you're still gonna recognize us. Mm-hmm. Why I'm saying this, that explains why, you know, from Afrobeat, it goes to ballad, to, but, as a listener, we wanted to have, you know, the album has the album has a shape. But like you said, you say it's all right. You know, you go through different emotions by listening to it, and then it's up to you to decide. Okay, today I'm not so happy. Maybe I want to listen to a happy song from this, or today I'm feeling very emotional. Maybe I need to listen to something. You know, so everybody has it. Has has their own make their own choice but the album by itself as much it has you know maybe different rhythm still connected because we are connected with those yeah i i think the sequencing is brilliant too because you listen to aqua and you're like you just feel so great and then you i miss you comes right after that and you're just like oh you know i i i struggle to listen to that without 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 crying but then like if i knew i get back i'm like okay girl shake it off shake it off you got this (laughs) so there's this beautiful journey um you're welcome i think about something like songs in the key of life or some of the other great albums that take you on just an emotional Roller coaster is not even the word because you don't feel like you're being jerked around. Just this emotional journey, and and you really you really managed to do something quite special with this record. But speaking of that song, mm-hmm. speaking of "I Miss You," the it's a you do a climax cover mm-hmm. that song, and I understand that some of the members of Climax have caught wind of it. Did I have to like I? Sai, this amazing singer, she, Sai Smith put, wrote a comment and tagged, tagged them. And then they heard it and they were just, and I know I'm like, I, I, it's, that's the best. That's just, that's, there's many things to ask for, but that's definitely one is to have the, the original artists like hear it and, and approve, <laughs> so to speak. But yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not, sh- I know that for, for me, I think I, you know, I looked it up. I was like, okay, I was eight when that song came out. And I remember seeing the in, on MTV, you know, video for it just, it was video and audio, you know, and I just, it hit my little eight-year-old core. Like I just, I loved that song. It was like everything, when you first hear it, it was like everything had to stop. And I was just like, and it it did, it was, it was like, it made me kind of cry. And especially the, like, there was something even an eight-year-old could could like respond to of like thought I heard your voice you know but no but I turned to say something and then it was just my mind playing tricks and I was like and even as a little kid I remember being like yeah that can happen (laughs) 
and just relating. It was just so, it was just so heartfelt. And I just, I always loved it. And since then, I all, when I really got into singing, I thought I really want to do something with that song. And I just, Mm. this, this was the opportunity to, to play it for Lionel and, and think, okay. Didn't, and again, and I think that's cool. I think it's really cool because obviously there's so much that I don't know, things that you bring to me where I'm like, I don't know this, but let's just let's yeah, do it. Okay. Um, and yes, when I sing it, I'm I'm I I'm channeling, I'm remembering all of my years of like loving it. But I think it's just as cool to have it be this new, fresh, fresh thing. And there wasn't really well, you you really created something special, I think, with the the chorus reharmonization and and I think if you know the song as Angelica does we didn't we purposely didn't do the the background you know response like that's such a yes it's very it's like we love that and I'm going to leave that on a shelf and then what can we do that that honors just the core of it again I said you know the same thing but but still but does something different so it was kind of purposely like let's not if we actually take that away it's in our heads. Everyone knows that if you know it, but Lionel just created such a beautiful, you know, descending arc with that chord. Oh my gosh. so gorgeous i mean uh, to what you said i think the reason why even an eight-year-old can relate to that is because we may not be able to understand you know unrequited love and relationships and things like that but we've all missed someone even as a child you miss your mom and dad you miss your pet you miss your grandma i was thinking of my cat when i heard that i was like when you just you thought, oh did i see them did they just go oh no no you know it was it was so many songs that I love songs now that I hear I'm like when I was little it was I was only thinking about my pets <laughs> but, it, right. but it was still triggering it was it was a beautiful thing yeah for sure I mean Lionel did you did that that line that you sing that line that you crafted 
did that come to you right away? Is that just what you felt? Like what, how did that come about? I think that came, that pretty much the, the, the top note of, of my heart, of the harmony I, I created, you know? So um, I just said, well, I'm just singing that top note with my guitar and that's how it came out. But it wasn't made separately. I was just following the harmony. Yeah. I mean, you guys took an 80s power ballad and just turned it into, <laughs> like, I mean, you, it, it, this is a, I, I, I can't, I don't even have the words. It's just such a beautiful, beautiful cover. And I'm so happy that Climax has heard it and that they've received it so warmly. In, in addition to, to that one, there's, there's a really beautiful song that, that I love, A Painful Joy. And Lionel, you talked a little bit about where, just foundationally, where we were, we were talking, where you were mentally, and I think where collectively we're, we were coming from when you wrote that. But can you talk a little bit more about that? And also, there are no words; it's wordless. Mm -hmm. it's, it's so I, I would love to talk about you guys' approach to that song. Yeah, it's, it's one of those songs I wrote during the pandemic. And the idea for me was, you know, to find like oxymo, you know, like painful, but joyful at the same time, painful because of all we've, we were living through, people dying, and joyful in a way that, you know, just so, just start seeing the nature coming back, <laughs> you know. So that because of the lockdown, you know, I've seen in, seeing in the news in Paris, birds landing on the highway in Paris. I start hearing birds I never heard before in my neighborhood. Start, you know, walking, seeing trees and flowers that I never seen before. So in another word, the, the, we get, we give a break to the nature. And and that was the joyful part, you know. So that that's why I call it painful joy. Is I'm not happy that people dying, but I'm happy that the nature is breathing, was breathing mm. better. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Life is like one big dichotomy, but I think in that time that you wrote that, we got to really see it, like you know, whoever you believe in gave us this very big example of what it can feel like to have two things happening at once yeah, yeah. yeah. in a very unprecedented mm. way. But yes, so much joy and happiness on this, on this album as well. It sounds like if I knew, you know, and, and some others, and I guess I, I, I would love to go through all the tracks, but I, I want to be mindful of the time. And so I'll just say, it's an incredible album, Lean In, it's out everywhere. It's doing wonderful. You guys are going to tour the record soon, right? Yeah. And, and oh, yes. we tour next weekend. Yeah. It's, it's, that's the fun part too. It's 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 great to produce, you know, this this piece of work and then have it out, and then to 
take that and and perform it live and to share it live is is a whole other level of you know of connection and with each other and with our audience so it's going to be it's going to be great and i've i mean i maybe leo is you've done solo or duo tours i've i've always had you know a quartet or more well i've done a few few in my life where it's just a couple people but there's something really special about just the two of us we're both mellow we're both there's no drama we're just oh, like exactly. let's just, let's do the show and then go to bed <laughs> yeah. we got to get our sleep <laughs> yes very important stuff well that's exciting i know you guys are coming to new york in the summer so i really really hope to get to be in the audience for one of those you. shows yes sure. yeah by 1973, it was 10 years since Herbie Hancock had joined Miles Davis's second great quintet. And Hancock's growth as an artist was evident through his output as a leader with recordings like Empyrean Isles, Speak Like a Child, and Maiden Voyage. After leaving Miles's group, Herbie was exploring a synthesis of jazz, rock, and funk on albums like Fat Albert Rotunda. His Mwandishi sextet dove even further into this territory, but it was in 1973 that Hancock had an epiphany. He said, quote, I suspected that my own energy needed something else. It was more spiritual and it had to do with me as a human being. I began to feel that I'd been spending so much time exploring the upper atmosphere of music and the more ethereal kind of far out spacey stuff. And now there was this need to take some more of the earth and to feel a little more tethered, a connection to Earth. Enter Headhunters. The band, which comprised of Hancock, Benny Maupin on saxophone and clarinet, Harvey Mason on drums, Paul Jackson on bass, and the percussion of Bill Summers made history. The first jazz album to fully cross over, Headhunters went on to sell over a million albums, the first for any jazz album. Hit songs like Chameleon catapulted Herbie and Headhunters to new heights, and Hancock had no fewer than four albums in the pop charts at one time in the mid-70s. Artists like Sly and the Family Stone, the Pointer Sisters, Curtis Mayfield, and James Brown had a tremendous influence on Herbie's shift in the direction toward a funk and groove-based expression of jazz. Headhunters' effect rippled into the hip-hop genre at the dawn of its golden era, being sampled dozens of times. Here, Parlato, Lueke, and myself talk a little bit about this album's personal impact by reflecting on the first time we heard it and how it has shaped us since then. You know, this show is also about celebrating milestones. And so the three of us kind of got together and, and you voted to do, I was saying maybe a Herbie album because that's someone who you both uh, know and someone who's been integral to your careers and your, I would just imagine just your creativity and, and everything else. So we went with Headhunters. It you know, it celebrates a 50th anniversary this year. So that's really exciting, celebrating a landmark year. So I would love to talk about this album with both of you, starting with, do you remember the first time you heard this album? I, go ahead, Leo. <laughs> yes, I remember I was, I, was, I was in Africa. I was in, in Benin. 
And my older brother was, I mean, he's still a guitar player. He doesn't play anymore, but he had a band back then. And I remember they were playing uh, Cameleon. And I mean, actually, I heard them playing Cameleon first. And then I asked to, what is, where did you, how can I get this song? And and they, they gave me a cassette. And actually, I heard, I heard Cameleon, the original. I didn't, I didn't know anything about Headhunters. I didn't know anything about who was playing. I didn't know anybody who was playing. But he was, I felt connected right away. You know, I was like, wow, this, you know, and it was a little bit also the period where I was doing break dancing, you know. You know, right. and and I heard that it was right on. I was like, "Wow, this is great! This is one of the reasons I want to play guitar like my brother." You know, mm-hmm. so it was very inspiring for me. That was the first time. I think I was, I don't know, maybe fifteen, something like that. Wow! Wow! What about you, Gretchen? Do you remember? I do, and you know what? It's so it's so perfect. I was about the same age. I was. I wondered how old you were going to say you were. I was 16 because I was in the car and I was, so I was an early, early new driver driving around the Valley of LA and it was on the radio. Chameleon was on the radio and I'm not sure what station it wasn't, probably wasn't the jazz station. I think it was like kind of a old, like soul R&B station. I forget, but it was like, it's that like stop. Literally I had to park and pull over and just it stopped me in my tracks and I was back in the day you know you kind of you hope and wait for the DJ to tell you what the song is because similarly I didn't I actually didn't know who it was what it was anything about it and the track is so long for the radio I'm sure they don't even know if they played the whole thing but it was it's a it's great that they played it and then they didn't end up saying who it was after they just went into another song so I was I think I had to go home and ask my mom or just like mention it and then she she pulled out this vinyl and look, yeah so this, this is another story this was when he came to UCLA when I was a student and he was our like artist in residence for two weeks and I was a nerd and I asked him to sign my vinyl but that's my mom's vinyl and so I I don't know somehow I, I maybe I remembered the bass line and I like sang it for her or something right and she's like yeah. oh yeah she's like this is what it is so cool mom you know to yeah. <laughs> it was, I mean, yeah it's really it's cool to find to discover it on your own and then and not to have any idea but it was just like I'm sure every single person has that same reaction of like what is this and like this I could listen to this for my whole life every day and just absolutely incredible just the first track. I mean, to your point, I think that's got to be one of the most memorable synth bass lines or any bass line <laughs> ever. So it's like you were your own Shazam because we didn't have, we, we couldn't just press a oh. button. And You're going home like, mom, so. Boom, yeah. boom, boom. <laughs> Can you imagine? I wish I had a, vid- a recording of that. Mom, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> right, right. Because I'm sure your shoulders were doing exactly that.
That's amazing. But to your point about it being super long, I mean, there's four songs on this album and each song, I don't think there's a song under 10 minutes on this album or barely if there is. And yet I was talking to my uncle about this record who this was like his prime, like partying days. And he was like, oh, he said this, that record or certainly Chameleon and Watermelon Man. He said, I mean, those songs were on the radio. Or you'd hear them in the in the clubs, in the discotheques, in the skating rinks, or you know, right along with. But you would think these like long songs with all these sections, and you know that maybe they would be too much for people. Right. But I, I know that Herbie and I would love to get your input on this. He really had it seemed like a disdain for this sort of hierarchy where you have jazz and then everything else is is beneath it, especially when we're talking about. Black music, I mean, it all deserves, I mean, all music, but I'm just saying like, they tend to divide Black music up in this way that's, I think, kind of harmful. And I'm seeing even with the album that you guys just put out, leaving the hierarchy out, out at the door is what makes a beautiful album. Like, what are your thoughts about how he really centered funk and kind of changed the game? You know, yeah, for real. I think it's probably the, the best album when it comes to jazz crossing over between jazz, funk, and rock. You know, so he, he, I think I, the man is a force. You know, he, he has no boundaries, there's no boundaries, you know, and it's by trying you discover that's how you know, he just go for what he believed and and the result is there. You know, I remember him saying uh, the critics were very, I mean, the, the, they were very hard on them, especially on him, you know, when he started with the, with the Headhunters because, you know, everybody was waiting for him to play, you know, the jazz thing and, and uh, you know, they were criticizing not in a good way, but he just, he said, well, I just kept doing my thing, you know, and then we catch up and that's exactly what happened, you know, and he was, he said he, beside the vision, he was the head of his time. I mean, like the vocoder, people don't know, he is the first person on this planet who used the vocoder, you know, I mean, that today we have there's another name for it, uh, auto tuner or yes. everything. <laughs> but he was, he came, I mean, he, he was explaining, like, you know, the, the, his keyboard, how heavy it was, the computer, everything was heavy. Like the guitar was so heavy because, I mean, but the man didn't give up, you know, he, he was really pushing the boundaries and. There we go. That's for me the the best the best example and the best lesson. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, the, I think too, this album, I mean, because fusion is becoming more popular in this era as well. And then you have folks like Herbie and Stevie and who are really getting into the the synths. And like you said, kind of having the, these prototypical instruments <laughs> that they're yeah. working out and stuff. But like, to me, like there's fusion, but this wasn't real. Do you feel like this is a fusion album or is it, I almost feel like it's more like a, it's a jazz funk rock record or something. There's some, there's a differentiation I feel like, cause it's not like what Chick was doing. It's not like weather report, like it's no. something no. else. No, it, I mean, it's, I guess it depends what, we call fusion, you know, but mm-hmm. it was the for me it was really a crossover between uh, funk and rock, and from from uh, from a jazz musicians, you know, crossing over between funk and rock. Mm-hmm. Now, if, if that's called fusion, I say yes. If it's not, I say yes. I don't know. <laughs> and Africa too, right? Because there's there's yeah. so much Africa on this record. Absolutely. I yeah. mean, how did that when you first heard because I know you heard Chameleon, but then did you hear the whole album after your did your brother give you a whole album? Well, I heard no, I didn't hear the whole album at first. No, I just heard the slide, just few tunes. Not the whole album because it was a random cassette with a bunch of other things. So, <laughs> but you know, uh, we, after, I heard the whole album many years after when I moved to Paris, not before. Oh, okay. Because so- there's a, there were no way to get the uh, the real album or the cassette, so um, it was just copies. You know, one one track here and then, uh, and I went, oh another track after a few months from somebody else you know yeah Yeah. so when you guys heard summers playing all of that percussion i mean especially on something like watermelon man and even but but all throughout really i mean gretchen like what because i know you had gotten into west african studies and so what you know what was that like hearing that in a in that setting i mean yeah the the intro to Watermelon Man, for sure, it was like, I mean, it's just immediate intrigue and immediately like, what is happening? What is going on? What's creating this? But when you're especially a teenager hearing it and but something so, yeah, I think what makes it so authentic is that he has the the band. It's just so it's not jazz players attempting to play, you know, or just jam out. It's like, no, this is like legit and this is the real deal. So there was something that, and I don't know. And, you know, it's, it's hard to even have, you can, well, we can hear it done so many different ways, but it's nothing's like the original, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, And I say that in a positive way, but it's like, it's very hard to recreate the feeling of this song. That's, that doesn't set, you know, compared to the, the studio version of what they created, you know, I love hearing it all these years later but it's like oh my god that's that what they created is just that's just it <laughs> that's yeah the, especially um, when you hear watermelon man done in 63 or whatever that was with donald bird yeah. and that <laughs> then you're like whoa i know and i don't know about that that would be interesting to hear and i should just research it if you guys don't know but yeah how did they get from how did that 
rearrangement, you know, come about. But to answer your question, yes, the 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 I was very intrigued already and really influenced by percussion and and I was probably one of those, you know, just sitting at the record player, like at the speaker, trying to kind of differentiate what was happening. And I always just thought it was fascinating to like pay attention to one part and and see what what it's what what the pattern is, and then how that then find another part and how does that how is it individually played and then how does it line up together? And it's always been, you know, a, a fascinating way to feel music and analyze it and then also try to recreate that as well. Hmm. Yeah, I, I feel like as a as a Black American, like that that when that baseline comes in, boo-doo. Yeah. it's just like <laughs> after you heard that. I mean, just and even like growing up watching The Wiz. Yes, it was so. Yeah, you're you right. Hear, you know that. It's like so scary, but it reminded me of the pygmy instrument that I don't know the name of, I'm probably going to mess up the pronunciation anyway, but just that, I think that Summers used a, a beer bottle, right? Yeah, right, right. right. Oh I mean, God. Lionel, as someone who uses a lot of mouth percussion and just the the dynamics of rhythm that you're able to create yourself, like, <laughs> I mean, when you heard that, what did you think of it? It was great. I mean, I related right away to the pygmies because because of the counterpoint, you know, and I was impressed how he was able to do it. You know, with a water bottle or beer, but I don't know what kind of bottle he was. I was impressive, and uh, and uh, also the shakere, the way he plays the shakere, you know, really, really, really reminds me of Yoruba. Mm. Music, you know, Benin, Yoruba, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I was impressed for sure. Mm-hmm. Actually, Just when I saw the, I saw the video, I saw the video first. I saw him mm. wearing white and playing. Actually, I was so sure that he he was from uh, Nigeria or Benin, you know. We call them voodoo scene, like feast of voodoo, you know, they were black and white. Mm-hmm. But I think he was practicing that. I mean, he has a relation, if I'm not mistaken, but I mean, he did his homework and mm-hmm. he owned it. That's know. clear, so, right? That, yeah, the homework was definitely, it seemed yeah. to me anyway, yeah, yeah but you, you're authenticating that sentiment because it, it certainly felt that way to me too. And then I think also, 73, you know, the Black Arts Movement is coming around. There's sort of a a mental back to Africa that that Garvey and Malcolm X and folks like that were saying, you know, even if you can't have the means to go home here, even we can liberate ourselves and sort of in a sort of pan-Africanism way, like reconnect in that way. And, you know, you had M. Wandishi and, you know, they were starting to change their names and all that stuff. So I think that there was like, to your point, just this, this conscious effort to, to be rooted in something that felt like ours maybe, or something, you know.
I was just, it, I felt like there was a quote of Herbie's that said about this album that he, the feeling of wanting to have something that's rooted and maybe in the jazz world, it's a lot of flying and floating, but there was something like really earthy that he wanted to tap into, mm. and, you know. Mm -hmm. And very, again, like you were saying, Angelica, earlier, uh, or Gretchen, when you ask jazz musicians to to play this type of music, they, most of the time they're all over places, right? Because, right. You know, and and the fact that they kind of keep their focus on the groove, you know, knowing that, I mean, even when I listen to Herbie solo, it's so soulful, you know, there's no like crazy. And he can do it, but he didn't do it, you know. He just serve what the music asks for and stay sit on that groove. Mm -hmm. For me, for me, I think that was that is what made this album unique too. You know, nobody was trying to show off or playing a bunch of jazz things, even if they are all rooted in the jazz world. Exactly. Yeah. Kudos to I, I I should have introduced the the players, but you had Herbie on Fender Rhodes and like a zillion synthesizers. <laughs> and then <laughs> Benny Maupin, Harvey Mason, Paul Jackson, and and Bill Summers. And you yeah. you guys actually, I mean, this isn't from the Headhunters album, but it's Headhunters Error. You guys did an amazing cover of Butterfly, which yeah. is from you remember? Yeah, I'm like, remember? <laughs> that was on yeah. the Thrust album, I think. But so, can you, how did that, who who suggested that? That's all Gretchen. Uh, yeah, you know, it, you know what, 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 it was a connection with you, you know, it was in the Institute <clears throat> when Herbie gave us, I don't know if he gave it just to me or to all of us, but he gave us typed out lyrics that his sister Jean wrote to a lot of his compositions oh. and um, um, like Maiden Voyage we did that arrangement and and these were some lyrics of hers I I it may, it may be debatable with Butterfly whether it was her lyric or I, I feel like somebody somewhere in these last 20 years came up to me and said actually there's some maybe there's a debate so let's just leave it at that oh. but I that was a the start of it was giving having these these typed lyrics that that Herbie's sister had had written and kind of know you know back then like knowing butterfly but realizing like oh wait like this let's let's do something with this and I think it's actually it is like in the real book as well so it was you know it wasn't yeah. that obscure but well y'all didn't yeah. sing it like it was in a real book y'all had that <laughs> modulation on the vamp and you know that kind of interesting that was that was cool that was like my first attempt at like my very basic understanding of harmony and thinking like wait if I just we just go up a little bit here and like we take out a couple beats and it's kind of and then every to this day it's like what meter is it in it's like well you can feel is it a big seven or is it 
three or is it four? And it's like, I'm going to pull a Lionel and be like, however you feel it is right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like I don't, it all just kind of came came together but it was definitely when I play it with Lionel I don't tell him what to do obviously I don't all the all the reharm all of that is completely you and and it was probably the from the, the first take that you did and then every single time we play it it's just like I don't we know the forms there we know the structures there but who knows where mm-hmm. Um, it's gonna go. <laughs> but I love that that the fact that the the little modulation happens on and maybe one day we'll fly because it feels like a feels like a natural elevation. Like oh, mm. yeah, that that's great. You know, growing up in the hip hop era, I mean, being from New York, Watermelon Man was sampled like a thousand times, you know, in like in the 80s, it was sampled. And then in the 90s, you probably remember Super Cat, this guy, it was like a reggae artist. He did it with Mary J. Blige, this song called Dolly My Baby. But then like, it was like an old, like ultra magnetic MCs. And then Dilla, I don't know if you guys heard Dilla's chop of Watermelon. It's it's crazy. So. So and we're talking three different yeah. decades. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's timeless. I think it's, 
it's you anybody could hear that from any era and just it's immediately it hits you and you're just like this is so authentic and 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 it's and it's that reaction of like I don't even know what's happening I don't even know how do they how did they do this and what is this but you just want to listen to it over and over and over and over mm-hmm. and, and and it makes sense that it would be sampled and looped you know even though the whole track is kind of a bigger version of a sample <laughs> you know you mm-hmm. but you mentioned the whiz and you're freaking me out because that's I I feel like that's probably because of the that bottle you know like Austin on that blowing that's probably the first time I heard that and I'll bet that I did have a very a similar reaction of like oh this sounds like the whiz and then I was scared because that scene terrifying that scene is so terrifying and when we look back it's like what was it, it was like paper mache arms and like I, you know what I played it I was like Marley I have to show you the whiz and <laughs> It was like this, right? this on face? No, nothing because they they have like all these they're the way that their their level they're of being terrified of things is very different from yeah, <laughs> but I right? was like, I was like I just I I probably I didn't want to be too annoying but I was just like this scene okay what okay this okay wait I don't know if I can walk you know and I was like it's so it's just so charming and so silly but it mm-hmm. that was a that was a vibe but just like the yeah like having something that that terrifying and the the audio and this this song in a second that you hear that you're triggered you know totally totally I'm (laughs) in my 40s and I still fast forward that scene just because I don't want to hear I don't want to hear I can only listen to it on watermelon man you take it out and I'm as as an adult I was like now we're talking about the whiz which could be a whole other podcast but uh uh-oh did you miss like a, a we could do story? it no because it's it start it's 45 no wait yeah it'll be 45 this year oh okay so there's, there's many other people that would be you know connoisseurs but i i loved it too but yeah. but when, when i watched it recently i was like this so much of this the emotion is because of diana ross and michael jackson they're acting and they're and like just the way that they're they're reacting to each other and their emotion that they're giving out all the whole cast but especially being drawn to them it was like wow that that's what's giving me you know like her reacting to them getting like you know almost Ooh, killed yeah it's her it's her like this i'm reacting to her reacting to them and that's that's acting that it's is beautiful. That is, yeah, such a gorgeous soundtrack. And I got to I gotta listen to the Wiz soundtrack today. <laughs> but yeah. do you guys have a favorite song on this album? So we have Chameleon, Watermelon Man, then there's Sly, and then Vein Melter, which I listened to on a loop yesterday preparing to talk to you guys because it is so gorgeous. Like, I, I, I mean... For me, it's hard to say. Because <laughs> 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 I, love, I, love, I love all those... All, all the tunes on that album. It's hard to, but I mean, they're all different in a way. So there's something about each of them. So mm-hmm. it's hard to, to pick one. If I'm going to pick one, I'll probably pick Watermelon Man, I guess because mm-hmm. of, <laughs> you know, the relation, that, um, the pygmies and, uh, you know, but... It wouldn't be fair. I think I'll you'd be happy. <laughs> well, you also did a Herbie tribute, an entire 
album, a solo guitar record. How did you curate that? Like, how did you choose what songs you were going to do? It was, it was hard, actually. I mean, it was easy in a way that, you know, I, I play many of uh, Herbie's songs, cartoons, and we still playing. But how the hard part was how, like I was saying earlier, I can detach myself from the original, the originals that I've been playing for, yeah, almost twenty years now, to, and and to make, to bring, to make, to own them, to make them my almost like my composition. That was a challenge. Mm-hmm. That was re- that was really hard, and also, you know, some of them, like a chameleon, I didn't record it. And, you know, I should have, but I didn't know what to do with it. You know, I, I had, it's like, you know, if I don't have anything else to bring on the table, then I just leave it alone. Mm, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I just didn't want to just record it because, you know, right. I, I love that's it. But, so there are few, few tunes like that. I made a list and then I'm like, I, didn't, I couldn't find something interesting on them and I just leave them alone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, so you've been you've been in working with Herbie in his band, touring with Herbie for as you just said is about twenty years now. Mm-hmm. So, were you nervous to present this project to him? Were you like how like how did you feel about sharing it with him? Did he have any input? Like, what was that like? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I t- I told him before I actually I went to record it. I said. I'm about to record this thing and you know I want to get his benediction his permission and benediction I said man I can't wait to hear it and he was the first person I sent the recording to when I left the studio and he was I mean it's heavy you know and I was pretty sure that he was not gonna say oh this this is terrible. <laughs> impossible. <You> know? <laughs> yeah, impossible. You know, that's not him. That's not who he is. And you no, know, he said it was that I give a new I give another life to his composition. And the other challenge for me was, I mean, we're talking about from Herbie, I mean, who is a piano player, and all those compositions played in the group setting. And to bring everything to a solo guitar, that was the other challenge, you know, like how I have to find, that's why I left many of them out because I have to find a, a way to make them sound good the way I want, I want it mm-hmm. otherwise, yeah. Yeah. And then this I tried. Year, oh, and you succeeded. It's beautiful. Right, it so. is so beautiful. And then this year you partnered with Giles Peterson and you did some re reimaginations of, of those songs. So that's really yes. cool too. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good experience too, because I, I mean he's amazing. He his sense of, you know, adding programming, adding some effects to to any tracks. I was amazed, you know. He he mm-hmm. sent me the first demo. I was like, man, let's do the whole album. <laughs> But oh wow! Whole, yeah, that's how it started. You know. uh, I fell in love right away. You know. He's so knowledgeable. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, he's, a, he's amazing. Then he sent me back, and 
not every track, some of the tracks I add, I added some guitars, but most of them are just from the original track. He just, he did his magic. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Well, I, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I guess I would just, the last question I would have for you as it pertains to Headhunters is, it's turning 50. What what do you hope what do you hope for for this record for like 50 years from now when we're we're coming back to the Zoom a lot yeah. older <laughs> for the 100th anniversary like what's your well I think you will keep having amazing impacts to to generations to come uh, why I said that kids still learning uh, song in, in school in, in big band. Uh, I mean, I'm always amazed. You know, at Herbie's gig, you on stage, and when it comes to I don't know, Cameron or or watermelon, and see you see the reaction of people and the diversity of generations. You know, it's like one of the person I know right now who can, you know, you look in the room, you see kids jumping, you see, right. you know, older generation people in a wheelchair next to the stage. You see, I mean, mm. all different type of generations and everybody's enjoying, you know? So I think it's gonna, 50 years from now, it's gonna be the same, probably more, because it's so deep that we probably haven't even you know, scratch everything about this album. Mmm, that's deep. That's, that's how I feel. Mm-hmm. It's so cool that you've been able to play with him and play this probably at, you know, isn't like the on, the last song of most yeah, of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Encore. He gets his guitar out and it's like, oh, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> you get Let's to do go. that. Yeah, I would agree. I, I would, I think it stands, it's so timeless that it would continue to just be this, this, you know, this prototype, this signature sound that people either they, on one hand, they just appreciate it for, for what it is, but they also can use it and take it and see the lineage of where, of that sound and where it's gone. And, all, you know, I always hope, I actually still have to have the, the moment of really putting this on in the right time for my son. Mm-hmm. And I think of like a younger generation hearing it. And, and I, I, my hope is that it's, it, moves you know him and that generation the same way because it's different for them like I don't know my Marley's like a he's like drum and bass like electronic DNA like it's it's different than I don't think if he heard climax at at now he would he would mean as much to him as like when Mark played him like Skrillex he was like like his whole body is like electric so I'm like he has something in him where he needs that or not, he loves that production level and that mm-hmm. like all those, that sound, which is new, you know? So I'm, I, but, but I would hope that this album still is, means something to them because it's so rooted because there's such a, a, a deep, you know, bass element to it and that there's so much texture going on and that it's one to kind of, to, you can, like you said, you can dance to it. You can just have it on. It makes you feel good, but you can also sit there like I did and analyze and be like, what is happening here? And, and kind of take it apart. And, and I also was going to say, I, I think it's been a, 
big influence on just the beauty of like letting a song sit like letting a ch something sit there and just settle and develop and like Leonel said it's not like let's take a crazy solo and take it out it's just it's somewhat contained I guess you know but mm -hmm. but in a way that's just like honoring what it is and just it's okay to stay like leaning in if you will it's okay to <laughs> lean in. <laughs> you know they really leaned into like to the to the the sound and to you know this riff it was it was it was it just was like let's just sit here and let's see where it goes but keep it you know and and not let it stray and that's a great way I I love that I've luckily been a part of that you know and been in those ensembles where it's like that's what we're doing it's just this is what we're playing and we're just going to play it and that's how I learned it was just just learning repeat it and sit there and get it in your whole system and I think that's yeah beauty about about what music can do absolutely and I, I love the fact that you no, know, even if it's you know in the in a middle section where there's a solo and you know it, it always comes back he and then when it comes back you're like yeah you look back yeah yeah it's it's like a high almost you know it's it's yeah of the best kind Yes, of the most natural kind. Yes, natural high. Like, yeah, I feel like I had to clean that up. Yeah, uh, especially with the song like Bane Melter on it. You know, no, not that kind of high, but yeah, yeah, very. Yeah, I mean, I just thank you both so much for your time, being so generous with your time, and talking about this record with me and your record. Congratulations, and just this was amazing. Thank you. And we thank, thank you, you so much. for you're a part time. of this, you know, like you, you, I, I just, it had to be, it had to be you. It had to be you to like, to, cause I feel like you get it and you know, you have the sensitivity and, and the emotional connection to not just make it, you know, writing about this is not just words, there's stories and connections and you are the most knowledgeable musical person I no, and I very often think of you of like, would she, what would she think of this, or would she approve of this, or like, what? It's it's you're you you're a gem in this in the music world, and it's it's so necessary to have your voice and to and some groups like this where you're just you know sharing and connecting people, and it's very special. Yeah. So thank and, you. And, and thank you. And you know what you're talking about. <laughs> you <know>? uh <laughs> yeah, because you know you you. I mean, you grew up in in, in, the, in the jazz world for sure, and you are you understand, you know, uh, where we are and some details about the music that you know most of people don't, you know. Mm -hmm. And to finish, I mean, you you saw our debut, you know, you you met both of us when we moved, so so you better understanding and perfect person to you know write and interview anything anything you know us <laughs> yeah i'm like a proud auntie on the sidelines like no 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 <laughs> you know, like i mean i don't Thank think you. i I don't think i spoke to you but i feel like i first saw you at an instant monk institute like at a competition mm -hmm. uh, 
And I think I, you know, it's just because you're so beautiful. I was just like, who's that beautiful girl? Oh. Girl, we were girls. We were girls. <laughs> we were I didn't girls. I didn't, like I didn't say anything to you, but now looking back, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember when I finally I, didn't. I remember her face. I remember her from yeah. just you know being in and that. And I feel like those the competitions back in the day and the whole family oh. of like. It's, it's, it's very extended family. And that's so much of how yeah. that's my, my connection to Herbie, you know, mine is, I feel like an, I'm, I'm an eternal student with him. I, I'm not at the level of with Lionel. Oh, no, yeah. no, I'm a student. Are you kidding? <laughs> I'm a student for life. You are I'm, so I'm humble. learning and I get, I get paid too. I'm learning. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's it's it's a gratitude for for you and for your your family and your lineage and like this just keeping this music and keeping like the the educational part of the music around yes too. yes I mean that you know shout out to my late cousin boo 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 monk that was her vision long before it came to fruition that's what she wanted to do and I think that you know she died at like 26 years old but I do believe that I think she would have been very proud of the work that was done in her dad's name. So, I mean, that's, that's just amazing. I'm, I'm just grateful to know you both. And I think the competition you're talking about was a trombone competition. Yeah. yeah. Because we were students. We were just like, we were the, we were the class that, you know, that would just play a song, you know, in the beginning. Mm -hmm. of oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. It was, you know, it it it's, it wouldn't have been my first instrument, but I've been to a few. But I was just like, oh, it's always interesting to see what instrument they're going to do that year. And it was like, oh, yes. <laughs> 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 well, I remember the trombonist in the class. Nick was really he was pissed because he's like, of all the years, I'm doing trombone and I can't I can't participate because I'm a student. And it's like, when is that going to happen again? Oh, so. right. <laughs> right, exactly. When's there going to be an international trombone? <laughs> Leave it. There you go. Get it. <laughs> I love you guys. Thank you so much. Love you too. Okay. Love you too. And I'll, to see you soon. I'll see you in July. I'll be there. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to be in the house. See you soon. Bye. See you soon. See you in a few days. Milestones is a production of WBGO Studios, produced by Angelica Beener. Theme music by Riley Glasper. Listen on your smart speaker by saying, play Milestones, celebrating the culture. And if you're enjoying this content, please be sure to subscribe and review this episode on Apple Podcasts. Check out the rest of WBGO's podcast lineup by visiting wbgo.org slash studios.